Good morning. Welcome to Resurrection Church. How is everyone doing? Doing good, doing good, doing good. Wonderful. A couple of uh, couple announcements. Next <coughs> next Sunday, we're going to have a lunch fellowship at our house after church, uh, which is a nice time. We do that every couple couple times a month, once you know. And so we haven't had it in a while. Uh, also, ask if you'd be in prayer for uh, Cynthia Wiggins. If you remember Judy and Cynthia, you should be a part of our body for for a long time. Uh, Judy went to be with the Lord. Uh, we can week and a half ago, and so talked to uh, Cynthia the other day, just keep her in your prayers. Also keep praying for Tom, Tom Combs, uh, he's a long-time member of our church, he's been, he's been through a lot, and he still has some major medical issues, I um, went to see him the other day, and, and uh, just keep him in prayer, they, the doctors think they figured out how to help his infection, but we're praying for God, bleeding for God to heal him, and bring him back, and if you haven't met Tom, He's uh, he's a joy. He really is. And uh, um, let's see. Also, uh, don't forget we have an Israel trip coming up next year. Uh, if you've missed the informational meeting, the Zoom meeting, it is on our website and our YouTube channel. Uh, I recorded it, and we'll have future meetings. But this one is kind of like a basic intro. There's information in the back by um, back by Beth and Allie. If you want to go, pray about going. It's next May, May 19th through the 30th. And we are going with our church and uh, Calvary New Orleans and Veritas Bible Church and anyone else wants to go. So uh, it'll be a blessed time. All right, so we are going to start a new book of the Bible. We're going to go with the Hebrews. So I have not taught Hebrews before, so I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm up for the challenge. Hebrews has always intimidated me because it's a, it's a big book, but... Um, of course, I've taught through big books before, but Hebrews, go to, cha- go to Hebrews. This, if you were in James before, it's right next to James, right before James. So it's back there in the New Testament. And uh, so in the New Testament, when they would send letters out, Hebrews is, yeah, back, uh, it's after Philemon, which is a little postcard, and before James. Um, when they would send letters out, um, like Romans, the letter to Corinthians, letter to Ephesians, they would, the person who brought it would typically read it, right? And they would read the entire letter in one sitting. You want to do that today? No. <laughs> We're not going to do that today. We'll get for, but that's what typically, what, if you're reading through a book of the Bible, it's often good to read the entire thing in one sitting because you get the whole picture of the story. Uh, we're not going to do that today, but I encourage you in your in your spare time to maybe read through the book of Hebrews just uh, as preparation each week to uh, what God would speak. Hebrews is it's a letter, but it's also a sermon. We think it's it's most of it is a sermon, and then at the end it sort of like has some features of a letter. We don't know who wrote Hebrews. Most of the letters, a lot of the letters are by Paul or you know, there's James and Peter, but we really don't know who wrote. Hebrews, the um, uh, Paul, the language in Hebrews is very different than how Paul would write. The Greek is actually more eloquent and more refined. And it was uh, the person who wrote it was a master of a master of the Greek language and also a master communicator because the way it's structured is like a sermon. We're actually going to look at the introduction to his sermon. Uh, so it could have been Paul. 
It could have been Apollos. Apollos, which was, he was a, a great communicator as well. Uh, could have been Barnabas. Some of the early church fathers thought that Barnabas wrote it because Barnabas had a, a, a Jewish background because much of the book is very Jewish. You know, um, We think it was written probably between 60 to 80 AD, probably be, maybe before 70 AD. In 70 AD, the Jerusalem was destroyed. The temple was destroyed. And so when you're reading this, there's a lot of things that appear to be still happening. A lot of the sacrificial language is still there. Okay? Uh, so it's possibly before the destruction of Jerusalem and possibly during the time of Nero in Rome, who was in about 64-ish on AD. Okay? We know that this was written to uh, a bunch of believers who possibly were in a house church. In fact, this gathering might be about the size of the, the people that gathered for the book of Hebrews. So sometimes when you read the scriptures, you think all oh, this megachurch got the letter. No, it was a little small group of people who got this important letter. Um, the purpose really is uh, of the letter is to exhort and to encourage to endurance in Christ. Um, to, to possibly not give up on Jesus. Okay, Now why is that? Um, we see a lot of warnings in this book, or urgings to keep going on, to not give up. Throughout the letter, there's, um, we, know that they had, uh, we know that they had a hard time. We know that they came to faith in response to the preaching of others. If you look at, we're going to look at a couple introductory verses just before we get started. Hebrews 2, 3, uh, it says, How will we escape if we neglect uh, so great a salvation? Uh, that uh, salvation was first spoken by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard. So the Lord spoke it, those who heard were the apostles and the disciples, and then we heard it after that. So it could have been a group of people that heard it after Acts chapter 2, the Pentecost, um, and they heard it from them. Um, They heard from others. We think, a lot of scholars think, that this is a church that's in Rome. Okay. I'm just giving you introductory stuff before we get into the meat of stuff. We know that this church has become discouraged. They have endured hardships. They have, they have, followed, they have believed in Jesus and they have endured persecution. Uh, he encourages them in chapter 5, 11, Concerning him, we have much to say. It is hard, as it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. And then he says... Let us consider how to stimulate one another, not forsaking the assembly together, as is the habit of some. At some point, the, 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 the listeners had incurred, they had incurred great persecution, great trials, and they started thinking, is this the way? Is this, is this what I signed up for? Sometimes when we become a Christian, you think all your problems will go away. But the fact of the matter is, as long as you live on this earth, Jesus says, you will have tribulations and trials. Amen? The false teachers will tell you your problems will go away when you accept Christ. That's nonsense. You talk to the people in Hebrews, and they went through great suffering, great persecution. In fact, he, um, he reminds them of, um, of that. Go to, chapter, go to chapter 10. Go to chapter 10. And uh, verse, <clears throat> verse 32 
He says, but remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings. You endured some hardships. This could have been persecution under various emperors. We know that Claudius in 49 AD kicked the Jewish people out of Rome. And two of Paul's friends, Priscilla and Aquila, met Paul after they left Rome, right? Um, and you endured great conflict of sufferings, and partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and afflictions, and partly by becoming shares with those who were so treated. For you also showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted with joy the seizure of your possessions. Like you were persecuted and you were in prison and they took your stuff and you accepted that with joy. You, you, were, you, un, you endured, is what he says to the, these Hebrews. You were, you were like that at the beginning, right? Knowing that, that you have, verse 34, that they seize your possessions, knowing that you have for yourselves a better and lasting possession. You didn't care about the, the things of the world because you know you had a, a possession in heaven that nothing can take from you. And you were there. In fact, he, then he says, um, therefore, don't throw away that confidence of yours, which was a great reward. So we think that they had gone through so much trouble and some of them are beginning to rethink following Jesus. They're beginning to wonder, is this worth it? They're, they're sort of becoming lethargic. They're sort of becoming drifting. They're sort of becoming disillusioned, right? And the heart's becoming, and they've, they've wandered. They're beginning to wander. And so this, this sermon, this letter, is meant to encourage them to, re, to remain in Christ. In fact, go to chapter 13. In fact, here's the, uh, the purpose of the letters in chapter 13. In verse, uh, verse 22, he says, But... I urge you, brothers, bear with this word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. I'm exhorting to stay the course, to stay the course. Don't leave Jesus. Now, he begins his letter. If you're thinking about leaving Jesus, he says, let me remind you what you have in Jesus. Sometimes in life you think the grass is greener on the other side until you realize you need, your grass is <laughs> just as much as work. He says, listen, if you're thinking about leaving Jesus, let me remind you what you have in Jesus. And he's going to start off, which I love about the book of Hebrews, it's high Christology. It's all about Jesus. Amen? Do you realize what you have in Jesus? You can't do better than Jesus is what he's going to be saying. Now, I'm not going to take more time in this. I want to go to the, I want to go to the text. So go to chapter 1. Chapter 1. We're going to look at his intro, and Lord willing, we'll get through the first four verses. Lord willing, we'll get past verse 1. <laughs> We're going to be in Hebrews until the Lord comes back, maybe. I don't care. We're digging in, okay? Amen. If I if, if I have if I if if I'm gonna let me be the verses the verse four verses and then I'm gonna give you a little summary. God, having spoken long ago to the fathers and the prophets and many portions and in many ways, in these last days spoke to us in His Son 
whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the power, by the word of his power, who having accomplished cleansing for sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. We're going to stop right there. I don't know if I'm going to pass verse 1. Here's what's that. The writer starts off with God, right? Now, if I'm going to give you some thoughts, some words to hang your thoughts on, okay? I'll give you three words. Look to Jesus, learn of Jesus, lean on Jesus, okay? Look to Jesus, learn of Jesus, lean on Jesus. In the midst of their, their circumstances and trials and tribulations and their temptations to want to look away from Jesus or to wander from Jesus, he says, let me remind you, look to Jesus. Sometimes when you're going through difficult times, and you get discouraged, the answer is looking back to Jesus. Amen? Because so many times we want to look inward, right? And we want to constantly look at, in, into the cavity of our, of our soul and our existence, right? And we go down this dark, dark, dark spot. Yeah, it's all you're going to find is sin and a mess, you know? Look to Jesus. Because the answer's not within, it's in Christ. Amen? The answer's not looking within. That's what the world teaches. And the writer starts off right. He says, God... God, the first, he doesn't start off with your problems, I'm so sorry. Yes, let me get, here's the answer. Look to Jesus, God. In the beginning, God, right? Back in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God. Look to God. He's writing to encourage their confidence. And confidence can only be had by looking to Jesus. Right? Because if you look in the mirror, look to yourself, you get discouraged and depressed. And depression is nothing but self-look. Self-focused, inward analysis of your situation. Look to Christ. God. God speaks. After he spoke long ago in the prophets in many forms and in many portions and in many ways, he has spoken to us. The main idea here is God speaks. God has spoken and God speaks. Verse 1 is the entire synapsis or the synapsis that's the thing between your brains right synapsis you know synopsis because my synapses aren't working when i say that word <laughs> is the synopsis of the old testament the whole of the testament old testament is god spoke right god spoke long ago god spoke long ago of course he speaks in various ways he speaks with there's two categories general revelation special revelation general revelation he speaks through creation the heavens declare the glory, the glory of God, right? Psalm 19. The heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanse are declaring the work of his hands. You can look at the skies, look at creation, and realize something, somebody put that there. And that person, whoever this, really, really smart, really, really powerful, really, really big, right? Declares the glory of God. Romans 1.20 says the same thing. It says, since the creation of the world has invisible attributes, eternal power, divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what was made. But then you have special revelation, which is the scripture, right? And he says, he spoke long ago in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the whole point of the Old Testament is that Jesus is coming. Genesis, the whole book of the Bible is about redemption of mankind. Genesis 1 and 2 are creation. Genesis 3 is the fall. 
And from that point on until the cross, it's all about redemption. The whole story is about redemption. In the Old Testament is Jesus is coming. The Messiah is coming. And little snippets here and there, you get little pitches and glimpses, you know. And, and he spoke through, through many people. He, thro- he spoke, um, he says, through many, many parts. The Greek is polymeros. Uh, it, 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 many portions in different ways. And, and he spoke throughout all the Old Testament. As you read the scripture, it's all pointing to Jesus. It's all pointing to the Messiah coming. And when Jesus was risen from the dead, and, he's, and he meets the men on the road to Emmaus, two men who were discouraged because they had heard that Jesus was alive because the ladies saw the tomb, and the, but then they didn't believe them, so they're walking away, and Jesus comes up to them and says, hey guys, what are you guys talking about? And they didn't recognize Jesus. And Jesus does a little Bible study with them. And it says this in Luke 24, 27. Then Jesus, he's explaining to these men, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he began to explain to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. All the Old Testament points to Christ. It points to Jesus. All right? God spoke in many portions and in many ways. He speaks to Moses in a burning bush, right? Moses, Moses, you know, here I am. Take off your sandals, right? <laughs> he speaks to Elijah in a still small voice. Elijah, what are you doing in here? He speaks to, to, to Isaiah in a vision. He sees the Lord gloriously lifted up in Isaiah chapter 6. He speaks to Samuel in a vision. Samuel, Samuel, right? Many portions in many ways, different categories, you know. He gives Daniel dreams. He speaks through an angel to Zechariah. And that's all good, right? That's all good. Those are glimpses, and they're all true. The Old Testament isn't less true than the New Testament. All right? Rather, Christ is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. It all points to Jesus. It's just one story, amen? Look to Jesus. But then he says, in these last days, verse 2, I got past verse 1, okay? Amen. In these last days, by the way, in the Jewish mind, there was two ages. There was now age and the age to come. The age to come was the Messiah age, two ages, right? So when Jesus came, the stop clock started. The last days are now here. You know, we've been living in the last days for the last 2,000 years, right? And we're just waiting for the second coming, right? We're waiting for Christ to come for us and, you know, and the last days were 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 the the age of... uh, that's what Peter even says, that he who was foreknown before the foundation of the world but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. Peter says this is the last times, this is the last age. Um, John says in 1 John 2, children, it is the last hour. Right? But now God says, God having spoken in, through the prophets in many portions in many ways, verse 2, in these last days spoke to us in his Son. Before, it was sort of at a distance, right? Dreams and visions and hearing, you know, and, and the, the, those were all, word of, it's the word of God. The Old Testament is the word of God. But now, the distance has been shrunk. Now you have God himself, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh coming to you. And now you can't get, it's one thing to have so-and-so from so-and-so, from so-and-so tell you a message from so-and-so, right? It's another thing for the person himself to say, hey, I, I'm here in the flesh, right? I'm here. God has spoken to us in his son. Jesus Christ is the final and decisive word 
of God. God didn't just speak through Jesus' words, but through his actions. Everything that Jesus did was God speaking. The life of Jesus Christ. Think about this. We're sitting here, 2020, what are we, 23, 22? 22. I know. The synapses aren't working, right? <laughs> Think about this. And not only are we gathered, but there's people all over this, the city, all over the world, okay? To, to learn about a man who was from, he was from Hodong Town, Nazareth, Bethlehem, okay? It's like, it's like, it's like Gila Bend. That's what Nazareth was, okay? Maybe it was bigger than Gila Bend. But it was like a blip, right? He never wrote anything down other than the thing in the sand he wrote that one time. He never wrote anything down. You get more books are written about him than anybody else. He never sung a song as far as I know. Maybe he sung during a Passover Seder, but we never hear him sing a song. Actually, they did say, they, they did say in one scripture that he wrote. But the, we don't have any recording of what he wrote. But more songs are sung about him than anybody else. We're, 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 he has built an empire, so to speak, a worldwide 2,000-year-old empire, and yet he had, he had no place to lay his head. Foxes have holes and birds have nests, but I have no place to live. I don't have a home. Peter, can I crash your house today? Right? We're so impressed with what people have. Here's a man who had nothing. And yet we're following him. Amen? Jesus Christ is the decisive word of God. He's the final word of God. He has spoken to us in his son. He has spoken to us, not just through his words. In fact, he says the father's words. He says in John 14, 9 and 10, have I been with you so long, Philip, that you have not come to know me? He who has seen me has seen the Philip said, hey, Jesus, could just show us the father. And Jesus is like, Phil, I've been with you. If you've seen me, you've seen the father, Right? He says, do you not believe that I and the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I don't speak of my own initiative, but the, but the Father abiding in me does his works. And then he says in John 5, as he does the works of the Father, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. And whatever the Father does, the Son does also in like matter. I speak the words of my Father, I do the actions of my Father. That's it. You want to see the Father? Look in here for me. So God spoke to us through His Son. And His Son, of course, is wonderful. There's no one greater. Look to Jesus, He says. Look to Jesus, He says. But then He says, he's, then He starts out with, let's learn of Jesus. Why is Jesus the best? Why is, it's like, it's like He's saying to the church there, if you leave Jesus, you're leaving the best option you have. Right? You're leaving the best option. No, no, I pray God that nobody else, nobody in here is thinking about leaving Jesus. Because if you are, let me give you, let me just do some comparison study with you, right? Because there's no one greater than Jesus, amen? There's no one greater than Jesus. He is superior to every single man that has ever existed. Period. He is superior in his possessions. Look at the next part of the verse. 
whom he appointed heir of all things. Jesus Christ is heir of everything. Everything, not on just on planet earth, but in all existence, belongs to Jesus. Though he was poor when he died, he is rich because of, so, because of the cross. Look at um, Psalm 2. Go to Psalm 2 real fast. I might not get past you. That's okay. I'll, let's go. I'll, you guys bearing with me? I, I guess I feel like internally, I feel like I have to really hurry up and do, 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 do. That's why I talk so fast. So raise your hand if I'm talking too loud or too, too fast. Raise your hand and I'll slow down. Okay, my mom. Okay. <laughs> psalm 2 is actually a royal psalm. It was a psalm that, that, uh, that was intended for uh, when the kings were, um, uh, were anointed and everything. But it has some messianic verses to it. And here in Psalm 2, uh, verse, uh, verse 6, it says, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely tell the decree of Yahweh, he said to me, you are my son, today I've begotten you. Ask of me and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance and the ends of the earth as your possessions. But here, that's in Psalm 2, the inheritance of the nations. But in, but in Hebrews 1, it's he's the heir of all things. Everything belongs to Jesus. Everything is his. Is your life his? Does your life belong to Jesus? He doesn't care about your trinkets. Is your heart Jesus? Does it belong to Jesus Christ? By the way, the idea, go back to Hebrews. You guys back in Hebrews? The idea of being an heir is also refers to his rule. Because if all things belong to you, it also means that you're in charge of all those things, right? So by implication, and in the context of Psalm 2, speaking to the king, he's in charge of all the rest of the earth, right? And not only this, Hebrews indicates he's in charge of everything, the whole world, and all of, ex- all of the planets and universes are one. I don't believe in more universe. It's one universe. Sorry, Marvel, it's not a metaverse. It's one <laughs> It's one. <laughs> All of existence is Christ, right? In fact, there's a recording in, in the book of Daniel. I'll read it to you. Daniel chapter 7. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man. That's the title Jesus used for himself. Every time he said that, they ought to think of this vision from Daniel. One like a son of man was coming, and he came up to the ancient of days. That's God the Father, right? and was presented before him, and to him, Jesus, was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. Not the next president, next, the next emperor, not the next crazy man that wants to do things. It's Jesus Christ who people are going to serve. Amen? All the nations, men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. That's why Jesus says before he goes in Matthew 28, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. It all belongs to Jesus. He is superior in his possession. But my question, does he have you? Does he have your heart? 
Then he says, back in Hebrews, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. He is superior in his power. There's no one more powerful than Jesus Christ. You're talking about... So when it says God... In the beginning, God... He spoke a word to, to create things. Jesus Christ was that word. He is the agent of God. He is... Um, well, John 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, through Jesus. Think about this. Jesus, as the agent of God's creation, God spoke, and Jesus was the actual Word that went out and did the creation. You think of the sun, right? Hot, blazing sun that sends out heat and light and everything. Those rays that come from the sun are of the same material as the sun. They, it, it belong, it's from the sun, but it's distinct from the sun. It's like the sun is like, the sun of God is like that, right? He is of the same nature and essence of God the Father, but he's distinct. He's God the Son. Can't explain it. It's too, it's, we'll spend an eternity wondering at that. But Jesus Christ is God's supreme power of creation. He created the world. It says that he created both the material and spiritual world. Colossians 1.16 says, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He created not only what you see, he created what you don't see. When you pray, there's a, you realize right now there's a spiritual aspect that's going on in our lives. I see you physically, but in the spiritual realm, there's things happening. There are angels battling against demons right now, Right? There are prayers being sent up and God sending angels to answer those prayers. Jesus is interceding at the same time. Right? There's all kinds of activity going on that's more real than we see right here. There are, there are angelic rankings both in the God's angels and Satan's fallen angels. Those are ring. And, there's, there's, and of course, God always wins, right? God always wins. Jesus Christ is... Uh, he, is, uh, he is Lord of all that. He is supreme in His power. We owe our very life and existence to Him. Amen? Yeah. I did not create myself. I didn't, I, we talked at the, with the kids' ministry, or kids' student ministry, because they're not kids anymore, right? Of course my kids are in it. We talked about John chapter 3. We're going through the book of John. I'm taking him in depth. Like, do, you get, do you guys? We're talking about being born again. Nick, you've got to be born again. Nicodemus, not Nicholas, right? Nicodemus. You've got to be born again. How is that going to happen? Exactly. It's out of your hands. That's something that's in God's realm, right? We owe our very life, our existence. Some of us, before we met Jesus Christ, were a mess. Some of us are Christians, are still a mess, but Christ has cleaned us, Christ has changed us, and a person that belongs to Jesus Christ, Christ has the power to radically change people's lives. The difference is Jesus Christ. Amen? And all of creation will be subject to him. All of creation will be subject to his feet. In fact, he says that in Hebrews 2.8, that very statement, you have put all uh, things in subjection under his feet. Thirdly, Jesus is the actual 
glory and presence of God. Look at this. This is why, verse, chapter, verse 3. I made it to verse 3. Hey, there is a miracle. There is a God in heaven, right? <laughs> it's a miracle. Honestly, I, I'm excited. I, if I'm not, if, and I did not have coffee this morning. No applause, no, 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 thank you, Lord. I had, I'm just excited. I'm, oh, this is good. Don't, listen, we're learning of Jesus right now, aren't we? Watch this. That he is appointed heir of all things through whom he made the worlds, who is the radiance of his glory. That word radiance is the, it's, uh, the Greek is, it refers to the, luminous manifestation of God's glory, okay? It's, it's, it means to shine, to radiate. Uh, it either means to radiate, as, to radiate as the source or as a reflection. Well, Jesus Christ is the source, right? It actually means it refers to the glory of God himself. Now, in the Old Testament, God's glory appeared in different ways, right? You had... Um, you had what is called the Shekinah glory, the glory of the temple, right? They, they built the, you know, Moses built the tabernacle at the, and, uh, and at the end of Exodus, you know, the glory of God came in and filled that tabernacle. That's Jesus. When, when the children of Israel are wandering, in the, they're not wandering, being led by this cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, that's the glory of God. That's Jesus leading them. When, when, um, when, um, um, uh, when, um, I'm, 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 I lost my train of thought. Oh, when, um, when, when Solomon um, builds the temple and, he, and they prayed, and, and when the priests are coming in and, they're, and the glory comes down into the temple, that's the glory of God. That's, Jesus is the glory of God. He manifests God. He displays God. He explains God. He shows us God. He reveals God, right? He shines in the darkness hearts, in the, in the darkest hearts, the light of the gospel, that's Jesus Christ who's shown in our hearts, those of us who, who trust in Christ. And on his, on his stay on planet Earth, there were some times when we saw his glory, Peter says. On the Mount of Transfiguration, where God sort of, you know, kind of just let Jesus come out, you know, in, in the sense of, it was super, super bright, right? That's Jesus manifesting the glory of God. And that's why Jesus shows us, reveals to us the, the light of God, the love of God. He says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness. Are you walking in light or in darkness? Has the glory of God shown in your hearts? And not only is he the glory of God, he is actually the exact, he has God's nature. Look what it says. And he is the radiance of his glory, verse 3, and the exact representation of his nature. He is an exact, um, not duplicate, but an exact, like he's got the same DNA as God's. Let's, I'm trying to put it in language that we understand. He and the Father are the same, the same essence, the same substance. Uh, but he exactly, there's nothing that you find in Jesus that's, that, they have the same, the same qualities, right? Uh, the word here uh, for representation is the word a character in Greek. Hmm. We know some Greek now, don't we? <laughs> Originally, it re- referred to an instrument that was used for engraving, right? 
later on, it meant the impression that that engraver meant. So it was originally the, the instrument, and later on, the impression. So we know if you take out a coin, there's a coin with the p- picture of a president on there. It could be you know, whatever president it is, you know. We recognize, oh, that's so-and-so, even though it's a coin, right? When I look, when I look at, um, um, you know, if you have a, a son and you, and you see the son before you met the father and like, hey, you look just like your dad, right? Um, that image comes through, right? That's the idea. Jesus Christ is the exact representation of God the Father. Everything that is in Jesus is in the Father, all of the attributes of God is in Jesus Christ. God is love. Jesus is love, right? God is omnipresent. Jesus is omnipresent. God is all-knowing. Jesus is all-knowing. God is, you fill in the blank, right? It's God, God, Jesus is the exact representation of his being. That's why Colossians 1.15 says, He is the image of the invisible God. He's the, uh, the, the word there is icon, which means a precise copy, an exact rep- reproduction. He manifests, he shows us God. Fourthly, Jesus is superior because he has sustaining power. Look at verse 3, is that 3D? 3, 1, 2, 3C? I don't know. And he upholds all things by the word of his power. Not only does Jesus bring things into existence, he also holds them together. Now, out about you, that's something I really, really love because there are some times, and okay, let's just say something here. Physically, all of the atoms, all, every, all the molecules, everything in existence are being held together by Jesus. You know, and I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a, a scientist, but I remember from science, you had the atom, right? And you had these pot, protons in the middle, you know? They're all positive charges, and I know the negative charges are, are electrons, right? But protons are supposed to repel. So how are they being held together? And the electrons are outside orbiting around it. And they're, all, they're not repelling. But how are they not coming and collapsing into the... So how is that happening? I get, I'm, not, I'm not a scientist. I, I, that's my little bit of my... You know, I had, you know, I had some science in high school and college, but that's all I'm going to... That's not my major. But my point is, Jesus is holding all the molecules in all galaxies, stars, everything. He's holding it all together. Can you imagine if Jesus says, you know, let's give gravity a break for a couple minutes. <laughs> what would happen? We'd die. We'd, everything would fall apart. You know, we're just, you know, he's keeping it all intact. Yeah, there's, and there's, obviously, I'm not getting really technical with all the science. So there's wonderful things that people are looking to. But the point is, is he's holding it all together. He's the glue, so to speak. But if he does that for physical things, why, not he's, why can't he do it for my life? He holds my life together, amen? There are times when I feel like it's, it's out of my hand. Exactly, it's out of your hands. There are times when you have to say, because sometimes some of us struggle with control, right? We try to make things happen. We pull the levers of, the, of our lives or, or of our loved ones' lives, you know? We try to, you know, and it's frustrating, amen? And it's exhausting, and sometimes God has to say, can you just step out of the way and just trust me? I know what I'm doing. Yeah, but Lord, what about this? What about that, you know? And this idea of that he, um, he sustains or he upholds all things by the word of the Lord, the idea is also not just holding it together, but bringing it forward to a certain destination. 
He not only holds it together, he's bringing it towards his purpose. He's doing that well. I mean, to me, it's like, I, I would have to think about that. Matthew, I'd have to think about, how do I do this? Like, he's God. Hebrews is saying, you're going to leave God? Go to outer space without a space chute. That's how much, that's, let's see how that lasts. Christ is your answer. He carries all things before he is before all things, Colossians says, and in him all things hold together. He brings us all of life to his intended purpose. He's sort of the, the ultimate manager of life. And sometimes when you have tried to manage your life and it's not worked, it's not working, you need to say, Lord, I yield to you. Lord, I trust you. I surrender. Many of us have gone through times in our life I don't know, some of us were prodigals in here. I was a prodigal. And some of us were, were controlling, and some of us were, were rebellious, and some of us were all this stuff, you know. And it had to get to the point where you had to say, okay, I give up, Lord. They had to get to the point where it's like, you be God of my life. Amen? Amen. And then something miraculous happened. He actually knows what he's doing and he knows how to do it better than you and I could. But all he's looking for is a willing heart. He's looking for a willing heart that says, okay, Lord, I, I, I give up. You take my life. If you know how to manage billions of people and all these galaxies and stars and everything else, my, li- my life, my, my life that is... I don't even know where it's going. I don't even know how to lead myself. I have a hard time putting my shoes on in the morning. And I'm going to try to direct my life to a certain... No, no, Lord, you do it. That's why he's called a good shepherd. Amen? I remember in my life I had uh, some family issues and I, I had basically God had to tell me to, to, to not butt in anymore and I had to trust him and I had to back off, you know. And I had to to let him do. And it took longer than I wanted. <laughs> God always works slower than I want. But when he decides to work, it's effective. Whoever's watching online or in person, you guys are here for a reason. God has led you here for a reason. It's not just to sit and, I mean, it's here, it is sit to hear a good Bible teaching, right? And, good, and, and go through the Word of God. But ultimately, it's to give your life to Christ. It ultimately, it's to surrender to Jesus Christ. We're not promised tomorrow. Life is too short, eternity's forever.
I've covered four points and I have three or four more to go. I think I'm going to stop. I have, there's a lot to, to talk about. There's a lot and I don't want to overwhelm. I just, I think ultimately it's not just encouraging people who have left the faith. It's encouraging people who have never really given Jesus a try. You can't do better than Jesus. All the other religious guys are dead. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He rose. He's alive. How do you compete with that? Right? And not only that, he knows you and he loves you. So you guys haven't met Brother Tom. A lot of you guys have not met Brother Brother Tom. Um, I've known Tom since 1999. 2019 was it, Sharon? Is it 2019? Tom died. He's dead for 30 minutes. We did a whole interview. It's on YouTube. It's on our chase. If you want to watch it. He, and uh, it's, it's incredible. He was with the Lord. It's incredible. I saw t- I keep up with Tom and uh, I saw him on, what was it, Friday? A couple days ago. And we were talking about his experience. The Lord, he, the Lord sent him back and he was, he was incredible. Watch the YouTube video. But the one thing that one thing that he got choked up at, just even just talking to you as you go, was this. He said, John, he knew my name. He sat down next to me. He said, Tom. He knows each one of us by name. He isn't somebody that lives in a book in the sense of, you know, the book leads to him and the book is his word. He's not somebody that just lives in the past. He is a great I am. And he knows each one by name. Todd, and Sharon, and Milad, my mom, Gavin. And if he took that much care in creating all the heavens, he just spoke those into existence, but somehow when he made you, he made, there's some involvement in, him, in, 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 in your life. He actually knows your name. You're not a number. You're not an afterthought. And he made you for a purpose. I pray that 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 just that realization of how much he loves you would would sink in. Let's pray. Lord, I do pray, Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, there's no one better than Jesus. Because only He can save. Only He can change our lives. Only He can wash away our sins. And only Him, only Jesus, can bring us to the Father. If there's anybody here or watching online, anybody here that has never given their life to Jesus, and you want to, and you want to say, Lord, I want to surrender to you. I realize that my life has not been the greatest, and I realize I'm sinful. Friend, if you want to pray, I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now. I know it's a simple prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, 
I recognize that I have sinned and I am a sinner. But I also recognize that the Lord Jesus Christ shed His blood on the cross for my sins. And Lord, I ask that You would forgive me. And I ask You into my life and my heart that You would make me new. And You would wash it all away, Lord. I give my life to You. And I ask, Lord, that you would bring me to heaven and that you would make all things new in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, I pray for whoever may have prayed that prayer, whether here presently in person or online. Lord, that you would begin working that person's life. Father, we give you praise. Thank you for your word. We love you. We love your son. Lord, I pray for each person here, Lord, that you would lead us into your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I said four verses, right? I got through three. All right. At this pace, 2025, right? So why don't we stand up? Why don't we stand up? If you want to talk or pray afterwards, I'll be up front, and I'm happy to talk and pray. Um, otherwise, um, uh, thank you, Nick, for beautiful worship. Nick and Natalie, you guys, and Alan, you guys, sound, you guys sound like you've been playing for years. It's just amazing, you know. And but God's glorified through, through your giftings, and uh, um, yeah. So, uh, men, we're meeting on this Saturday, uh, Panera at PV Mall, and uh, at eight thirty, I think it is. Yeah, eight thirty or nine thirty. Um, was, what was it before, guys? Is it get up out of bed? Eight <laughs> thirty this Saturday, okay? Um, and then next Sunday after church, we'll have a lunch fellowship, lunch fellowship at our at our house. So, all right, let me pronounce a blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you. That means he give you a big smile and grant you his peace in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. And uh, if just a couple of me, the boys and uh, Sharon's dad can do the chairs and then we can fellowship, whatever, you know. God bless you guys.